sending small children off to a fate worse than death, welcome to Hand of God. episode 475 of Hand of Pod. Now, well, has just been pretty much dragged, kicking and screaming out of the flat uh, for, I didn't really catch what they're doing, but by his mum, so that we could record, and he was not very happy about it. Um, but we are happy to have a little bit of silence in the room and be able to record this episode. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined by Andres. Hello. Welcome. Chris. Hey, how's it going? And, of course, English Town. Hello. Welcome back. Um, it's been a mixed week to be somebody living in Argentina and the only reason it's mixed is that we like football and uh, we've had some good news due to that. To put it into footballistic terms it was it is like a draw. I know. It's like being already relegated but you get a win. Yes. Indeed. Um, We're going to be largely sticking to football but uh, via listeners questions and also I guess inevitably the fact that everything is political. Um, we are going to be touching on some politics a bit later in the episode. But uh, first of all, you'll be wanting to know the results from the double header of World Cup qualifiers that have been played since we last recorded. Those results have been Bolivia 2, Peru 0, Venezuela 0, Ecuador 0, Colombia 2, Brazil 1, marking the first time apparently in World Cup qualifying history that Brazil have lost two in a row. Argentina nil, Uruguay two. Yes, you heard that correctly. Chile nil, Paraguay nil. Those were all last Thursday. And then as we record this on uh, Wednesday, yesterday, on Tuesday, Paraguay nil, Colombia one, Ecuador one, Chile nil, Uruguay three, Bolivia nil, Brazil nil, Argentina one, meaning the first time that Brazil has lost three World Cup qualifiers Mm. in a row. And of course, the first time they have ever lost a World Cup qualifier in Brazil. And um, Peru won, Venezuela won. That uh, draw between Chile and Paraguay meant for Belisso to leave the charge. Ah, uh, so there is one less Argentinian coach in the qualifiers. And there might soon be two fewer. Well, unless, that a later unless Chile insists with another Argentinian coach. Indeed, yeah. Um, We'll get on to why there might be two fewer a little bit later, but the current standings then are Argentina, in spite of that scare against Uruguay, still top of the qualification group with 15 points from possible 18. Uruguay second with 13. Colombia. So they were top for a while. They were because their match, um, their win over uh, Bolivia was played before Brazil versus mm. Argentina, so Uruguay did go temporarily top um, by a point ahead of Argentina. Uh, Colombia in third with 12 points, Venezuela in fourth with nine, Ecuador in fifth with eight, Brazil down in sixth with seven points, and uh, we checked, and when I say we, I mean I asked Tony in our WhatsApp group last night, and he confirmed um, that unfortunately Brazil have been as low as sixth after six matches before in this qualification group. 
uh, back for the 2006 World Cup, was it? I think he said. 2018. The start of 2018 qualifying. Oh, because they started with a bunch of draws, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. Um, Paraguay are seventh and therefore currently occupying the playoff spot on five points um, by virtue of having minus two goal difference i.e. being ahead of Chile, who have a goal difference of minus four and five points. Yeah. And Bolivia are in ninth, and Peru are in tenth, with three and two points, respectively. Um, the big news, obviously, is that Brazil-Argentina match. So even though Argentina's defeat against Uruguay came first, I think we're going to begin with that one. Uh, and at the beginning of it, it didn't look like it might get played again for the second World Cup qualifying campaign Ooh. in a row. Uh, I rushed out of the shower expecting to hear the anthems and just saw a big mass brawl between Brazilian <laughs> police and Argentina. The, the anthems still did go ahead. Is the, the police, the Rio de Janeiro, or how you say, say you, you say Rio de Janeiro. I, yeah. Police, <laughs> or, or is the Brazilian general police? Uh, because uh, it happens, and it was said yesterday that uh, during the la la latest uh, matches or, or times that Argentinian sides or in this case national team went to Rio de Janeiro, this happened uh, mm. also um, with the yes, police uh, kicking or well uh, mistreating or treating badly the Argentinians and supporters. Yeah, is it actually? Do we? know what happened now like what are we 22 and a half hours later i've seen is it still a bit a lot of videos i'm still yet to kind of pinpoint what exactly started it it seemed like whether it was fighting amongst themselves or fighting amongst the with the brazilian fans everyone was packed in together quite tightly um and there didn't seem to be much kind of security in place until it all started escalating and then the police, like Andrew said, came heavy-handed. I think they came way too heavy-handed with the batons and just hitting people for who weren't even involved, people that were trying to stop it. And then suddenly the players were involved as well. Yes. Uh, Lo was one of the key ones that was kind of crying, right in the thick of it. And Martinez Diego too. Martinez. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what... Yeah, I mean... The guy saves everything, uh, it seems. But I don't know. It was, it was not nice scenes. I, I was... Not surprised when they walked off the pitch. I was quite surprised when they walked back on it. I was expecting it to, that just to be that, really, at that point. Um, yes, no, perhaps mm. not to be accused of, of leaving twice because uh, there was Rodrigo. I think he was with the number two, same two. Like they abandoned the pitch the other time when mm. when uh, it was the COVID situation, and now that the the supporters were being hit by by police. Apparently everything hap uh, started when Argentinian and Brazilian supporters were throwing each other uh, chairs and, and, the, and the police chose to hit the Argentinian side. Mm. Although apparently some Brazilians did get sort of whacked, but I think it seemed to be more caught in the crossfire than anything. And they, uh, there was a, the TV Publica cameras anyway, that, which is what I was watching it on, um, showed one fan being led away by the police apparently having been arrested and he was wearing a Brazil shirt so yeah God knows. hard to Messi, say what the Messi cause was but yeah heavy hand of Brazilian policing in a Brazilian stadium where the away team is from Argentina is uh, something that we've seen lots of times before Sorry, literally two three weeks ago wasn't it? exactly ahead of the Libertadores final ahead of 
many only Beltadores in Sudamericana match. Um, so it's not particularly. Argentina when Argentina went to play uh, Fluminense, I think it was yeah. something mm-hmm. also. Yeah, Tigre in Sao Paulo. Paulo in the final of the of the Sudamericana back in uh, what 2012, I think it was. Um, also springs to mind. Um, and yeah, lots and lots of other times. Strange thing, and well, perhaps not, no, I don't know if strange or, or surprising, but other, another thing that Argentinian players were uh, pissed off at it was that uh, our Brazilian players were had no solidarity with them mm. or with, with the, the environment. And they stay there and were like laughing and, of course, not worried about the situation. Uh, in fact, uh, as I said, I think it was Rodrigo who. Uh, discussed with Messi because he was like muffing at the that was the second time that Argentina was leaving. And the only person I saw show a little bit of solidarity was Marquinhos from when uh, he obviously knows Messi from his time at yeah. PSG. I did see a little bit of that, but from the rest of the team, I agree with you. I didn't see a lot. Um, it was all very, why not? See you later. Mm. Um, still, they got what they deserved afterwards. And uh, but one thing that I I found it's not exactly the most uh, important or, or it's not even that interesting but I found it mildly interesting that when Argentina's players did come back out um, there was no short warm up which is what the TV commentators kind of assumed was going to be happening but the, the players came back out after what 15 or 20 minutes or something yeah about 2 minutes kicking around the ball and then straight in and then it was kick off almost straight away um, and I think that that Probably, I don't know whether it, I'm not going to say it directly fed into, but I doubt it helped uh, Messi's physical state. He had to have his mm. thigh massage quite late in the first half and didn't do very much at all in the second half. Well, I think the pilot said afterwards that he played the whole game with a strength. Like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, okay, in this case, it's happened to the, the highest profile player on the pitch, but it could have happened to any. I, I don't understand why could the ref didn't allow him yeah. just a five minute warm up before kicking off. Because that would have made yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it was getting late. I mean, you know, players' well-being, everything. It was late. I did want to go to bed at some point. Mm-hmm. I fell so, asleep in the second half. I had to watch the second half oh. again this morning because I fell asleep. It was that late. Those of us who had to work with the game, Chris, that was not an option. Uh, um, was. Speaking of the game itself, however, how was it once it got going? Just frantic, horrible, yes, yeah. dreadful. Dull with a lot of fouls, of course. Uh, Mm. Very very few moments which in which you watch something uh, yeah. interesting in the game with Brazil's. Uh, uh, I mean, perhaps assuming they were not at their best, trying to cut Argentina all the time with the foul, fouls, which is uh, strange. As as I read, Fernando Diniz is way uh, in the opposite way of of that, uh, trying to play, make their 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 teams. Fluminense and in well Brazilian national team is perhaps not that possible, but trying to make them play more with the ball. Mm. Fluminense doing that even in, in in with situation of a lot of pressure from the rival, trying to 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 play with the goalkeeper with the defenders, and in this case it was just the other way around. It wasn't uh, from Argentina side wasn't like pretty, oh. but um, I did think they lined up in a far stronger position than they did against Uruguay. I think Acuna at left-back is, is a, a far stronger option than Tagliafico, in my opinion. I think he provides something both defensively and offensively that Tagliafico can quite offer. Um, and that kind of was shown, like the difference between him being there and 
then trying to kind of play Brazil at their own game with someone like Gonzalez um, really showed. And um, But it's really hard to pull a lot from this game because it was just like bogged down in midfield and passing around the back. Um, from Brazil's side, Martinelli looked quite good, but... Um, Apart from that, they looked. They, I mean, they were missing a lot of players. Yeah, from Argentina, I think was. It's, it's something that is usually said that if you put a lot of players in a in a short space, it doesn't uh, guarantee to have. I, I mean, a lot of midfielders doesn't guarantee for you to have the ball and try to uh, and build something from 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 the ball. In this case, it was Lachelso who hasn't been playing from the beginning. In this case, it was and. And I think he was one of the best players, yeah. but uh, overall, with McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, the Paul, and him, I think he wasn't so fluent in terms of the play. I don't think it was meant to be, though, was it? It was quite a. So on paper, it's a 4 4 2, but on the pitch, they the midfield four were very narrow and tried to like think, keep it contract and just make it very difficult for Brazil to play through them. Yeah. So they had to try to go around them, and they've. Not got the best aerial presence, <laughs> Brazil's forwards. Could have done with just a little bit more explosion, I think. Di Ma- yeah. uh, Argentina, uh, Di Maria, even uh, Nico Gonzalez. I mm. think someone who could could have just broke the lines because I thought uh, Brazil's fullbacks were pretty ropey, even not under much pressure. If they could have got behind there, might have been a bit more comfortable. But yeah, and Di Maria did stretch it a little bit when he replaced Messi with what about twenty minutes to go? I think. Yeah, his moments. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I think Scaloni was looking for, let's just make this really hard to break down, mm. and if we could snatch it, then we could snatch it, and that is what ended up happening. Was snatch a header it, they did. From Nicolas Otamendi to sentence Brazil to, as I said earlier, their first ever home defeat in a World Cup that's, qualifier. That's two, in two. Brazil's best moment of the match, no less. It really looked like the home goal was coming, Martinez came up with two very good saves. Mm. Isn't that... Two and four or two and three for Otamendi as well. Good, good yeah, he scored that stunner yeah. in the Monumental against Paraguay, I want to say, mm, in yeah. the first game of the last round. And okay. I, yeah. Both and one nil. So both goals were yeah. also the, the both big winning goals. Yeah. Difference um, maker. Both fantastic goals. <laughs> two, two fifths of the goals that he has scored in 108 caps, I think it is, he now has for Argentina. He's, got, he's scored five goals, and two of them have come in the last four matches. <laughs> um, so, yes, he's on a hot streak, clearly. Um, in the opposition box, at least. Indeed. In his own box, he still in fact, gives me the willies. Like, he got the run around against the Uruguay. Oh, yeah. There are a few goal scorers, and he's one of the third or fourth goal scorers, because the, the one who is clearly the, the, the best in that uh, term is... Uh, it's Darwin Nunez, of course, but uh, he's with two. He's uh, because he, the, the, the the highest goal scorer is with five. So oh, the campaign overall. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I thought you were talking about the team, and then you mentioned Darwin Nunez, and I started to get a bit confused. But uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll run down those a little bit later. Uh, but it's also for Brazil, as I said, three defeats in a row, which is as many defeats as they had as they had in. All three of the previous World Cup qualifying campaigns they took part in combined. Mm. So they didn't play the qualifiers for 2014. But the 2010 qualifiers, they lost two matches. The 2018 qualifiers, they lost one match. And the last round of uh, World Cup qualifiers, they didn't lose any. Of course, with the asterisk of refusing to play Argentina at home because they were chicken. Um, 
And yeah, now they've lost three matches in their last three World Cup qualifiers. Yeah. Are they going to scrape qualification for the United <laughs> 2026 World Cup, do we think? Are they still going to get there? I or? think I think they're going to... They, they're going to be bailed out by the fact that there are six and a half... Yeah. It would be now. really, really funny if they did. I think I mean, especially in the, in the first year where there's yeah. just like places where... It would also world. be very frustrating if they finished sixth or seventh this yeah. time. It would still got there. It yeah. would also be quite funny, to be fair. It would be funny. Anyway, next the funniest thing would be, be a playoff, I like, Brazil against Suriname. <laughs> next match, I think, is against Chile, so um, ah. they are way worse than them, even. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Yeah. Um, at the moment, they're two points better off and two points behind Venezuela, which is really Incredible. quite something. Um, let's talk about Argentina Uruguay now, yes. uh, which is obviously a few mm. days before. And a much better um, game. Yes. A much better game all round. Uh, and. I'm going to say a much more surprising game, even though, of course, Argentina not unbeaten in historically in, uh, at home in World Cup qualifiers, whereas Brazil were. Um, but Argentina very much went into that match as favourites, and I think that arguably Brazil be Argentina. Argentina probably started it as favourites and came out winning, even though Brazil were unbeaten. I, I believe you said yet, you said last week that they might that you thought they might lose to Uruguay and they might no, beat I'm Brazil. Very clever. I don't know whether you said it on the podcast or not, ah. so who knows whether it's true. <laughs> um, yeah, have you placed a bet on with double results or no? I was tempted to place a bet on Sunday's election result which would have made me a very rich man. Oh Just to cover my you know, uh, to cover my back. Yeah. But I didn't and now I'm sad. I wish I did that. For many reasons. I'm just not a gambler. Um man. going back to anyway, Thursday, um in the Bobble area, it was a very yeah. sort of edgy uh, first half, at the end of which Ronaldo Araujo uh, burst forward from right back and got a finish on a crossfield ball that nobody was really paying enough attention to. Doesn't get more Bielsesque than that, right? No, Your no, converted centre back to right back, just bombing up the whole pitch and finding himself on the end of a low cross. That is just and vintage Bielsa indeed, all the way through. As was Uruguay's pressing all the way through the game. Oh, yeah. They were. Yes. Very high line. And I, I think it's really surprising when, A, you, you know, we all know the difficulties of, and we've talked in the past about the difficulties of getting an international team to mm. do something that coordinated in the manner of a club team because managers don't have the same amount of time with them. But also, B, the amount of time that he has had in yeah. charge of Uruguay just full stop. And especially to have against the team already when their previous managers were doing basically yeah. the exact opposite <laughs> of it. Especially against a team like Argentina, who you know can just like change the tempo of the game hmm. with one pass, like one uh, pivot of Messi's ass, and like you go from your own penalty area to the opposition penalty area. It's like and risky, risky stuff. But they really didn't give Argentina much to. I don't even think Argentina, on, right? Argentina didn't even play that bad. They were no, they wayward, with their, bad. wayward yeah. with their passing, but they were completely punished by Bielsa masterclass. Commentators on this uh, were asking or wondering whether they, they, they Uruguayan players will be able to keep the rhythm mm. for the whole match, and it, it was like that. And uh, talking about history, it was the first time also that Uruguay beat. Argentina and Brazil, um, and Brazil in the same in same qualifiers. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking back as well to the uh, 
like a year ago at the World Cup, obviously the it's pretty much the same sort of team from Argentina, apart from Gonzalez was out injured in the World Cup. Yeah, but, I mean they but, have the same base of about 16, 17 players. Yeah, one but, comes in, one goes out. But, but it's the like same with the Elsa's Uruguay, it's like half the team is mm. is different, in, and like the most kind of significant of those changes is that like Suarez and Cavani aren't up leading the attack, and instead it's Nunez and whoever's on the wings, and it was just they're a completely different team now, and it's. Probably scary. They might even win the whole qualifying group. They've got the potential to win it. Let me ask you something, Sam. And I'm sure this is a subject close to your heart. What the fuck are United doing with Facundo Pelistri? Oof. Who is incredible. Yep. Um. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the... No, for United he's, he's It's been... a rhetorical question, really, because I know the answer is United are stupid. But Well, I think that part of it is that uh, Eric Ten Hag would probably have liked to have uh, started rotating him in off the bench a bit more often, but United uh-huh. just haven't been that far ahead yeah. in that many matches. Same thing with Cobby Minor, for instance, mm. who I think would probably have started to play already now if, if they'd actually had a two or three goal cushion mm-hmm. <laughs> with 20 minutes to go at some point. Um, and part of it is that he just is, he, Ten Hag, is, is just too determined to really try and get the best he can out of Anthony, even though Anthony is. Mm clearly not doing it and now he has finally accepted that he's got to try to find a way of getting Garnacho on the left without dropping Marcus Rashford as mm. well um, so yeah like Pellistri is, is fallen by the wayside and I, I do hope that he gets some playing time for United uh, he's very very, very very good yeah at, at the moment it's just it's very difficult to work out who you would drop for him mm. of the droppable options available given that Anthony's been dropped and you've mm. still got two people ahead of him. Um, yeah. But anyway, it doesn't usually good. happen that the head co- the coach of a team watches a play a, a game from a player who they didn't they weren't taking so much into account and oh look at this play ah he's mine he's mm. he's my team. And, and to make it play like similar to, to what he watched from the national team, or is it possible or not? Um, Perhaps because it's, he showed in, in a single uh, match what he can do, of course, in different team, different rival, but why not? Yeah, maybe. Agreed. Maybe. And I think he'll come into the team more as the season wears on. And, and as, I mean, results have started to go United's way now what they need now is some performances to match the results they've started the, to go the one who shows the um, one who shows his uh, uh, I mean uh, in, in, in impossible to, to, to replace in both teams team national team is Nicolas de la Cruz it's incredible how he's not uh, mm. in another league because uh, when he's fit he's, he, he is even, the difference. even he was pressing very, very well uh, on minute 75 against uh, Argentina. Yeah. And the other thing is that they, I mean, the two deep midfielders, especially Valverde, who I just love and have oh, done so for good. a few years so, now, so uh, and Man- Manuel Verde. Um, one of the things um, that those two were doing was to drop very, not very deep, but to, to when. Argentina did get forward to drop deeper, make things compact. And Argentina, the commentators, especially in the second half, kept saying, oh, they've, they've not got ideas, they're, they're not, you know. Mm. And I think what was really happening was just that Argentina were being forced to play through the middle so much, and Uruguay were making that middle bit kind of just in, just in front of the D of the penalty box so compact that 
Argentina just couldn't squeeze the passes through. How many times have we seen them get these kind of these quick sort of three, four touch passing moves through and cut the opposition open? And they couldn't because every pass had to be absolutely millimetre precision and only one of the players on the pitch making those passes was Lionel Messi. Um, yeah. And so eventually they they kept breaking down. That was one of the ways... Yeah, the ball was yeah. like a carrot and, and Argentinian players couldn't touch. Yeah. And then you just draw, you know, in the second half as well, for all they, they pressed quite hard in the first half, in the second half they dropped deeper and deeper and slowly deeper and just kept on doing that, making themselves difficult to play through and Argentina were pushing further and further up and then, bang, you get that Darwin Nunez goal from... I mean, essentially inside his own half, almost, in yes. terms of where he broke the, the, the perfect replacement for Luis Suarez, because mm. it's similarly, the, the way he carries the ball and, and finishes, it's quite, quite uh, similar. Yeah, yeah, it's like if Suarez and Cavani kind of had a, had a baby, that Nunez would kind of be that guy, wouldn't he? He's got the height, but also yeah. the kind of pace and skill of uh, Suarez. Yeah. Not, not Argentina's best. But the, uh, both fullbacks, I don't think, had a very good game. Tegrefico uh, and Molina, I don't think they covered themselves in too much glory in the game. And you could say that Otabendi was a bit slow. But apart, as I said at the start of this, I don't, I don't think Argentina played that bad. I will say I don't like Molina that much. But there is no other right back who no. can, who can play and and beat. Montiel's injured, right? Yes, no. way better than him. Yeah. And Mafeo has is the debutant and still hasn't played a single minute. But mm. um, and, and yet last night it wasn't also a brilliant game. Of course, it's Brazil. Even when Brazil is not at the, clearly at his, at his best, and uh, perhaps it was something we could expect Brazil and Uruguay to be the perhaps not best matches. And uh, but well, the, the, I think the the result overall result is positive because you defeat Brazil. Of course, that was a big test because of two defeats would have been hard and some start of questioning something. But uh, in the end, it was Scaloni himself who did that. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, we, is that the next thing we're talking about, Sam? Is it was. I was just going to run down the goal scorers first because Andres mentioned the goal scoring charts earlier. Darwin Nunez is, of course, as Andres says, the top of them with five goals, of which uh, Three have come in this doubleheader, right? One against Argentina and two against Bolivia the other day. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Lionel Messi and Nicolas de la Cruz both have three. And then, as Andres said, there are loads of players on two. Uh, Neymar, Otamendi, Felix Torres of Ecuador, Rodrigo of Brazil, Luis Diaz, Solomon Rondon and Rafael Santos Borre of Colombia, Venezuela and Colombia, respectively. And then I'm not going to read all the ones that are on one goal. One thing I'll note from that. Ridiculous over-representation of former and present River players. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say one thing, even though it's not Argentina related, and I know it's been covered by other places, but the Luis Diaz story for Colombia was quite quite nice when he got both goals against uh, Brazil the other day. Because of his father. Yeah, and his dad was in the crowd being swarmed by other Colombian fans um, so that was quite nice to see mm-hmm. indeed it was um, and of course yeah the next thing that we have to cover before we get onto a very quick chat about just all of the other countries qualifiers uh, is what's going on with Lionel Iccoloni what happened because we saw I mean somebody mentioned a rumour Santi I think mentioned the rumour in the uh, WhatsApp group chats last night when it was first said that we thought he'd heard, but I've not seen it mentioned anywhere on Twitter today, so I'm not going to say it on the podcast in case it's actually not true. 
But uh, it seems like the consensus is that nobody is quite sure why Scaloni said the things he did. Uh, yeah. Just for the benefit of people who either don't know or are listening to this way into the future and, in fact, it turns out Scaloni stays and gives another interview at some point where he says he might quit and then stays again. And it's a bit confusing exactly the circumstances. Argentina beat Brazil 1-0 in the Maracanã last night. Scaloni gave an interview. Uh, no, he didn't. He gave a press conference after the match and in response to, I think, pretty much the last question of the press conference... Um, which was asking him to sum up how he thinks the year has gone for Argentina uh, as a national team. He decided to say, seemingly of completely off his own bat, um, that he wasn't sure how long he'll be able to continue, that he has to go away and think about whether he still has the energy to lead this team because they need a, a manager who's fully there, um, and he doesn't know whether he's that person or not. At this moment when he won't have any energy to spend because there won't be in the, the next months any activity from the national team yeah. uh, which is up he's going to have plenty of time to yes to and with the same excuse or reason that Bielsen when he resigned for Argentina uh, uh, said like the energy lack of energy issue hmm. oh no it's a strange one to yes. me I mean, his, his contract if he wants to rest he's going to have till March no? yeah it's like the moment on the way there. in which he, he he said what he said uh, after winning Brazil, of course he 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 never measured the victories. I mean, oh no, I won't say this now that I have defeated Brazil because you have to remember how he reacted to the Montiel's penalty when when Argentina won, were the champions of the world. He did he said and did nothing. Until Leonardo Paredes went want to have help him, and that's when he started crying. Mm. Before that, it was like a stone. Uh, so it was it, perhaps he doesn't uh, or he he doesn't want to show the, the emotions. Uh, and in this case, it was like uh, after winning Brazil, of course that no, I don't know if covered the victory, but it was like similar in terms of the importance of the of the news. Yeah, I think it had been like a really long night. Yeah, it, and it, I was going to say that surely it the was stuff, definitely it, the, the, the bollocks night. that happened before the match the probably sh- played into the sh- the, everything the that happened before. Well, and like you know, you've got to like remember obviously all the training and stuff, and all your training goes out in the window when uh, you know you, your warm up changes and all that. And it was a long night on the pitch. It was, that was a long 90 minutes of football to watch. Um, I had to watch it in two parts, as I said. Um, so, and if, if what you're saying is correct, I didn't know it was the last question in the press conference, but if it was the last one, maybe it's just an like off-handed comment that maybe he's like had a thought about it and was like thinking aloud accidentally. Um, or maybe he is just tired. I mean, he has just won. Like he's won everything. Like, may, like it, it, maybe it's hard for him as a as a manager these days to get motivated to go like, okay, now we have to defend all of these, uh, you know, and, and now I have to get excited for a trip to La Paz. Or yeah, whatever, the you know, like maybe he's just tired. Maybe yes. he just needs like a mental break. You know, it's it's a lot. It's been a long year of celebration as well yes, as like course. a year or two before that. So like you can just suffer burnout as a person. So. I wouldn't blame him if he did just need to take some time. And, oh, and it's original because he escapes from the traditional way, which is to first talk with the players, perhaps the, the, more, the, the, the 
in this case Chick Tapia or the other directors, and then to the press. In this case, it was the, all the other way around. First to the media, and then um, Otamendi, Chik, uh, I think it was Cuti Romero also saying, "Oh, we didn't say, we didn't know anything about that, about that." Yeah, and we tried to make him make his mind and. And uh, th this is just me hypothesizing. I was saying it to you before we went went on air, Andres. But like, maybe with everything going on here politically in the last couple of days, um, and if you look at what uh, when Brazil had their own far right president very recently, and how kind of connected he made the Brazilian national team, maybe uh, Scaloni just doesn't fancy being so entrenched into a president that may or may not use the national team here as um, yes. as a tool, a political tool. Um, Although we should be very clear here uh, that, I, as far as I'm aware, we don't know Scaloni's own political opinions. That's true. I don't. Um, I'm hypothesising. Yeah. In fact, the only... As I also said uh, him when before we started recording, I think the only national team player who uh, showed something was uh, Lisandro Martinez, who yes, to my enormous relief, yes, reported um, something yeah. a letter from the I think from uh, play players and uh, teams also, which well called not to vote Javier Milay because of uh, his opinions on, on the mm. of this thing of, of companies managing teams. He's in favor of that, and of course, teams are not. Yeah, that's what we'll discuss a little bit later. Yes. Um, that's why I didn't say his name. I'm trying to play like a finet bingo of like yes. without saying Mr. Malou's <laughs> name, but anyway. Uh, I'm just having a quick look through the stats that Tony sent us on WhatsApp last night as well. Um, I mean, I'll just read these out for you. Argentina are the first team, going back to slightly happier topics again before we cut off for halftime. Argentina are the first team to beat Brazil away in the South American World Cup qualifiers, ending a cycle of 64 matches. Brazil's record is now 51 wins, 13 draws and one defeat in World Cup qualifiers in Brazil. Argentina claimed their first win away against Brazil in the South American quality. Yes, of course they did, Tony. There's no reason to put that one up. Uh, Nicolás Otamendi's goal was the Aldi Celeste's first in Brazil in the competition since 2004 when another defender, Juan Pablo Sorin, scored in a 3-1 defeat. Um, Argentina won their third match in a row against Brazil in the Maracanã, all by the same scoreline. There was a friendly in 1998, the final of the Copa America in 2021, and yesterday. They hadn't played in the Maracanã between 1998 yeah. and 2021. Apparently not. I mean, bear in mind the, the Maracanã was under construction for a fair bit. And then, of course, they wouldn't have played them in the 2014 World Cup qualifiers. Cause, yeah. And in fact, I guess in 2002 was the last World Cup that the holders qualify for automatically so they wouldn't have played each other in that cycle either, would they? Maybe 2006 was, but anyway, Brazil, in 2002, Brazil... Oh, no, hang on, sorry. 2006, Brazil went to Germany as the holders. That was the last one that, that the holders didn't have to qualify for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in 2002, of course, they would have because Brazil didn't win in 98. Um, but, yeah, so there have been a couple where they wouldn't have played them and then I guess the others must have been playing in Sao Paulo and, and whatnot. I mean, they have plenty the, of savings the one that was, in Brazil. The one that was called off... Place. 
Yeah. The one that was called off yeah. before the last World Cup was in São Paulo, wasn't it? That was, for example, Arena uh, Palmeiras, yeah. I believe. Yes, Rosabel. or whatever, or Arena Corinthians, one yeah. of those identical, horrible modern stadiums, which are not as nice as Maracanã, mm-hmm. which it, is beautiful. This was, this one surprises me, given okay. just how strong Argentina have been, and given that it's not just in the current South American qualifying setup, but apparently ever. This is the third, uh, the first time, sorry, that Argentina have strung together three consecutive away clean sheets in World Cup qualifying. It shows how fucking difficult yes. this competition is. Wait. Indeed, yeah. So they, they, they beat Bolivia 3-0 in La Paz, they beat Peru 2-0 in Lima, they beat Brazil 1-0 in the Maracanã. Oh, so it's in away games, sorry. Yes, yeah, oh, three away games away games. Nicolás Otamendi is the first player to score against Brazil in the Maracanã for uh, in World Cup qualifying in the 21st century. The last person to do so was Dario Silva for Uruguay in a 1-1 draw in June 2000. So just a reminder for the non-pedants that that's the, 20, the end of the 20th century. Uh, well done, Tony, for getting the century right there. Giovanni Locenzo gave his sixth assist in World Cup qualifying. Um, over the last four editions of World Cup qualifying, only Angel Di Maria and Lionel Messi have more. That's in South American World Cup qualifying, obviously. Um, so, well done him. And Argentina have four consecutive clean sheets against Brazil. They are the second team in history to manage four consecutive clean sheets against Brazil. Uh, the other being as we were slightly disappointed and surprised to discover, because for a while Tony thought that it might be the first time it's ever happened, uh, Mexico between 2001 and 2003, where Mexico beat Brazil three times and drew with them once. Wow. The same record that Argentina currently have in their, their last four matches against them. I've got a stat that's not going to be on your list there that I just made up, but um, Rodrigo de Paul um, has the most time spent on the floor <laughs> in the Maracanã um, while still being able to continue and uh, c- continue throughout Almost the night. Yes, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Almost definitely, yeah. Um, so thanks for those, Tony. And for now, I think... Oh, no, should we... No, let's go through the other team's qualifiers because we don't really have any domestic football to talk about at all. Uh, so we'll go through the others and answer some listeners' questions and a little bit more after this break. South America, I gave you the results at the beginning of the first half of the podcast, but the big winners from the um, qualifying double header we've just had are, of course, Uruguay. Can't remember where Uruguay were in um, the table prior to those two matches, although I have a feeling they were one of the three teams who were sort of tied in second place mm. somewhere behind Argentina. But of course, they're now only two points behind Argentina because they've beaten Argentina. Um, and other good results um, are that third place Colombia, now the only unbeaten team left in World Cup qualifying in yeah, South America. Yeah, they kind of gone the San Lorenzo route to, uh, to success. 1-0 wins, penalties, not conceding goals. 
Well, they got a 2-1 win over Brazil. Yeah, but I mean... That, that was a bit of a smash and grab, though. They, yeah. they definitely weren't the better team in that Six game. goals, you know, a goal a game, half a goal conceded a game. Mm. That, is, that is a way to success. Indeed. It's actually... I was looking down the, um, the goals columns a little earlier, and Uruguay really jump out at you. Yeah, in that Jesus. respect. Uh, it's not been a particularly high-scoring campaign mm. overall. Argentina are top of it and have won all but one of their matches and have only scored eight goals in six games. Um, Colombia have scored six, Venezuela have scored six, Ecuador have scored five, Brazil have scored eight, Paraguay won, Chile three, Bolivia four, Peru won, Uruguay have scored 13 goals. Peru uh, only scored one goal. Peru scored one goal. They've also lost four of their six matches only. Paraguay too, and they're in the playoff position. Uh, Paraguay scored one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, sorry, Paraguay sorry, as well. Paraguay too. Yeah, Paraguay as well. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, what scored one and only conceded three, so four goals in Paraguay's six games so far. So Don't watch gi- given <laughs> given their one drawn lost record, you can actually work out exactly what each scoreline has been, because they have won one, drawn two, and lost three, and therefore they have to have won one match, one nil. Mm-hmm. Both of their draws were nil nil, and each of their defeats was a one nil defeat, because there's no other way you can have that record while scoring one goal and conceding three. Wow, uh, that's impressive. It's very economic, isn't it, from, from them. Um, and they have a... I think that, well, they don't defend that bad, but they are awful, of course, in, in the attack. With I think it's Ramon Sosa and Barreiro, the, the pair of strikers there. Uh, if At this against Argentina, they were in the, in the beginning. Yeah. Well, OK, so against Colombia, Argentina. in the 1-0 defeat the other day, it was uh, Antonio Sanabria ah, and Adam okay. Barreiro. Mm. Uh, up front with Ramon Sosa playing in a midfield four just behind them and 40 year old um, Oscar Carlos yes coming off the bench <laughs> and Gabriel Avalos um, of Argentinos yes and Sosa and Barrero also playing in Argentina yeah it's not the vintage Paraguay team is it what is the vintage Paraguay team 2002 I mean it's pretty much this to be honest grinding out results <laughs> with minimum uh, goal scoring yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. this, this isn't the highest far. level that they've um, achieved uh, by any way. Yeah, I would say 2002... They got to the knockouts and the, the World The Cup 2000s was probably the, the high point for them. Um, elsewhere, Venezuela, as I mentioned earlier, now two points clear of Brazil. Um, it would be, as we said, kind of amusing if Brazil were to finish outside the top five and yet perhaps slightly annoying if they would still get to the World <laughs> Cup. Uh, because of how many spots there are now up for grabs. Equally, it would be... I, I don't know whether it would make it slightly sweeter or not if the fact... Um, if Venezuela ended up in a spot that would have seen them qualify in any previous campaign. On the one hand, from Venezuela's point of view, it would be their best qualifying campaign ever and they'd be at the World Cup for the first time, so who cares? On the other, it would be a bit like, oh right, like we couldn't have finished fourth... <laughs> you know, four years ago yeah. or eight years ago, and qualify for that one instead. Now we finish fourth when seven teams have a good chance of getting into. It. I, think, I don't think they're catching much. Though. I think Venezuela have put them in a, put themselves in a position where it would be quite the shame if they didn't qualify now. I mean, because they're a better team than Bolivia. They're clearly a better team than Peru. They're, as we just discussed, they're a better team than Paraguay at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's your battle one there. Um, and then you just need to be better than uh, Chile and. Whoever I don't know, it would be. I think it, like they've put themselves in a position now where to not qualify would be kind of, yeah, 
as I said. Yeah, seventh at least would be the minimum. Yeah. After this, and I wanted to look up what their next two matches are, but annoyingly, neither SofaScore nor Google are giving me any future fixtures for the. Um, I can World tell Cup. you some qualifying. Go. On. They. It's another couple of tough ones. To be These done. will be in like March or something. March, they, yeah. Uh, they have Bolivia away, mm-hmm. and they have Uruguay at home. Okay, Uruguay at home is tricky. Bolivia away, given the way Bolivia are playing at the moment. But I think didn't Bolivia, Bolivia win against Peru in La Paz the other day? Against Peru. I know, but they still won a game. Yeah, it's nice to see. It's nice to see. I mean, I feel like even three points from that double header. Oh, he's going to put Venezuela on twelve. Potentially, if Chile were to lose, uh, that would put them seven clear of. Mm. Of, uh, of, of not qualifying at all. I mean, nearly not far off halfway through the campaign. I mean, what we think in this kind of the it's likely it's so min- difficult to say. What's going to be the likely minimum for uh, for the seventh place? Place in say twenty two points. Even looking at what it's been for previous campaigns doesn't entirely no. tell you because of the fact that in previous campaigns that wasn't the cutoff point and therefore teams yeah. weren't going for it as much if yeah. they would lower down the table. Plus Brazil dropping points yeah. adds another variable because you could basically write off every team's games against Brazil oh, they're going to lose so that's the great equaliser but mm-hmm. teams taking points from Brazil yeah. puts a whole different um, sheen on things. I, I think if, if Venezuela can get like, I think 15 points might be enough. Fifteen. I, I seriously think that if Argentina were to lose all of their remaining games, mm. given the way that the teams at the bottom are currently playing, there's a reasonable chance that they would finish in the playoff spot still. Yeah. Mm. Um, Could be. I'd say eighteen, maybe, but mm. not far off. Because basically, you've got Argentina and Uruguay winning far more of their matches than they lose, and everybody else is taking points off each other at the moment. Okay, Colombia and Venezuela are unbeaten, but they've only won half their matches. Um, it's definitely interesting, so though. Yeah, it's like, given all the kind of bad press about the... Bad press, but like the kind of bad thing saying that how many extra places and stuff there are, like, it's still just as entertaining and interesting as it normally is, despite being there being less jeopardy. You know, the games are still really competitive... Um, you only have to watch some of the European qualifiers this week. I know it's for the Euros, but like how dull about 75-80% of those games are and how entertaining all of these games are. Um, it's, it's also because, obviously, the FIFA rankings aren't perfect, but con- the Conmebol consists of 10 teams who are all within like the top... I think 55 or something of those. Like Bolivia... Oh, no, hang on. Bolivia might be down in like 70th and everybody else... Is top fifty-five, mm. and even Bolivia are better than the worst team in any of the other confederations yes. by by some distance. Um, and so, yes, a lot of it comes from that. Some of it comes from the fact that half of the countries in the continent, on a footballing level at, at, at least, if not actually also on a geopolitical level, really don't like each other that much. There's almost always some needle to at least some of the matches each day, mm. and some of it, a lot of it, comes from the fact that even though the football isn't always the prettiest, as we saw last night, these are a decent selection of some of the best teams in the world, which, as you say, you don't get watching the UEFA countries. No. I saw a tweet a little bit earlier when I was checking out mentions for questions earlier. Um, With an account that I don't follow or anything, it just got retweeted, somebody saying that some people, 
I think his implication, it was an English journalist, I guess, uh, was, was some people in England will just watch England's double headers against who are they, Malta and North Macedonia. And North Macedonia, also this time around. Won't watch anything else, and then will make it almost their entire personality to be like, "Oh, international breaks are rubbish." Yeah. Well, watch the South American qualifiers and see if you still think that. Again, it's not always pretty, and this time around, it's not that high scoring, but the matches are always brutally competitive, and you have, yeah, um, geographical levelers such as the altitude in La Paz and Quito, the humidity in Barranquilla. Single how in. Some time ago, I think it was before the World Cup, that Kylian Mbappé said that they are better because they play in Europe and South America is not that competitive and they have just defeated Gibraltar for team nil. Yeah, yeah. Really competitive yeah. stuff. <laughs> well done. Um, anyway, there we have it. Uh, that's those are our thoughts on the qualifiers. A little bit of domestic action. Having said that there was nothing domestic to talk about, I'm going to give you one quick piece of domestic update, and that is that as we talk, the Copa Argentina semi-final are about to begin. I was just checking that there hadn't been one last night that I'd completely forgotten about. Uh, They are being played tonight and tomorrow night. The first is tonight, and it's Boca Juniors versus Estudiantes de la Plata. And the second is... Uh, did I say the first is tomorrow night? I meant the first is tonight. No, tonight I think you said. Uh, okay, I did say tonight. For some reason... I did say tonight. Yeah, I, I felt in my mouth uh, like I'd said tomorrow night, but I meant to say tonight. Anyway, it kicks off in about 20 minutes' time. The second is in 24 hours and 20 minutes, as I say this. Um, and that's between Defensa y Justicia and San Lorenzo de Almagro. If you continue to listen after the end music of this episode, I will try to remember to give you the result of Boca versus Estudiantes, which is being played in, I want to say San Juan or something. Cordova. The headshots. This Cordova. one? Cordova. Cordova. Is that the Kempes? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. They've redone it outside and put some fancy lights and stuff on it. I thought it was one of the new ones. Um, so there you go. That's happening. Um... Anything else? There is a poll right now at, on Tasia Sports about who will win the Copa Argentina and San Lorenzo. Is oh, there. well, that's interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah. So hmm. no, normally Tasia Sports polls are just... Yes. Basically, it boils down to who, which team has the most supporters. So I would have expected to see Boca way out in front of that poll. But San Lorenzo are currently on 43%. But then I feel like... Boca on 37 I feel like River fans always write in these yes. Tasia Sports po- polls. Yes, like, really <laughs> kind of overwhelmingly. So yeah, you can avoid it. Explain it. Yeah, you can vote with a quick QR code and it's, they don't ask you whether you're a supporter. One thing I was going to bring up that we discussed either on the pod or on Handpod Extra last week, um, we discussed uh, that, um, oh, I've forgotten his name now, Cachardo, um was uh, never going to take a job in, yes, in Saudi Arabia. Yes, list of questions on last week's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> he was never going to take the job in Saudi Arabia. Why would we need to? I think that was those. Were the, I think we were pretty unanimous. The four Did of us. I in. thought I said that it was a dumb thing. No, yes, but no, said that no. We were all just like, yeah. Why would he need I, to? I don't that definitely, yeah. but certainly the consensus was that we didn't think he was going to take it. Yeah, and I'm I think sh- less than twenty four hours later, he was confirmed. Yes, so. was. There are twenty million reasons. And, and as I saw somebody point out on Twitter as well, four days after that happened, Lionel Scaloni says he might step down from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, Marcelo Gachado is going to be the new manager of Al Itihad. I have a theory that he 
already knew that Milay will win the elections and he said, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to leave this country. I have Always a theory that he just wanted a lot more money in his pocket. And this uh, is also a good thing. Yeah, now Indeed, he's yeah. going to get it. A bit more money motivated than I was giving him credit for last week, perhaps. Um, oh, there is one more football thing, isn't there? Because the Under-17 World Cup is taking place. Dan, I believe you've actually been watching some of it. A little bit, yeah. I have watched games. Um, and the next one is a bit of a doozy. It's another Argentina-Brazil game. Mm. Um, they will play Friday morning, 9pm... Argentine time, 12pm GMT, so I'm guessing... Sorry, but you need to say AM. AM, yes, yes correct. <laughs> um, and whatever time that is, Indonesian time, where the tournament is being played. Hmm. Um, and that is in the quarterfinals, where Argentina booked their place with an emphatic 5-0, I want to say, victory yeah. over Venezuela. Ten man, about, ten man Venezuela. It'll be about seven pm, I think. It's or ten boy. Ten to seven in the morning. Jakarta. Thank you for your precise knowledge of local Jakarta time. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm fairly uh, sent off, I think, because uh, I it was after a penalty yeah. that was not a penalty. Right? I mean, and he it was on on bar, which is ridiculous. And after that, the referee, uh, the, the that defender was with yellow card, and he. Uh, chose to, to uh, show him the second yellow card and send, send him off. I believe Argentina, Argentina gets soft penalties in World, Cup, World <laughs> Cups. Why am I not surprised? They were, they were already 3 0 up yes. at that point, though. I think it was <laughs> probably done. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be. But yeah, stars of the yeah. future. Uh, Brazil got there by beating Ecuador 3 1, I see. 1 yes. 1 at half time. After um, beating New Caledonia and England in the group stages. One 9-0 against New Caledonia, did, yes, I saw that. Yeah. which was a game where they had something like 55 shots. 81. 80, oh, was it 81 and 55 on target? 55 on target, but I remember seeing the stats afterwards, yeah. and I, I remember somebody said uh, it was actually quite poor finishing. Yeah, that <laughs> they would just shoot it for absolutely anywhere, yeah. 79 more shots than Argentina Brazil yesterday, mm. last night. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that'll be one to watch. Uh, we talked about um, the young river lad Claudio Echeverri, I think a couple of times on this podcast. Yes. Um, another young river lad really came to the fore against Venezuela, Agustin Roberto. He scored a couple of goals, bringing his World Cup tally up to five. Um, and Santi Lopez is another, the other who scored two, I think, mm. twice. From uh, yes. This says he scored one. First goal, Luis Balbo own goal. Santiago Lopez got the second. Echeverri got the third, all in the first half, and then <coughs> Roberto scored got a second penalty, half double, yeah. Uh, penalty and a goal eight minutes after that, quite mm-hmm. late on in the second half. Yeah, it was away, or wasn't, or it was from <coughs> Santi Lopez also. The first one, I mean. Sofa score reckon it was an own goal. Mm. Possibly it was Lopez, but then it oh, got okay. put down as an own goal. I didn't see it, I didn't get up early enough to watch it. The other quarterfinals in the Under-17 World Cup are Spain versus Germany, Brazil versus Argentina, as we just said. France versus Uzbekistan, who knocked, uh, out England. knocked England out, apparently. They had a good Under-20 World Cup as well, didn't they? Uzbekistan? Um, or at they, least they had a good game and then possibly lost against... 
Argentina Can't in the group stages, or I might be thinking about another stunt. I'll look it up in a second. Uh, and Mali, who have to be one of the best performing, if not the best performing country at underage group World Cups to have never played in the Men's World Cup uh, versus Morocco. Hmm. And the Under-20 World Cup, have you um, found that yet, Dan? Yes, give me two seconds. Groups. This is interesting. SofaScore lists the Under-20 World Cup as the U-20 World Cup and every other World Cup, including the actual World Cup, mm-hmm. is called the whatever it is, World Championship, because they clearly don't have the rights to call it the World Cup. Um, yes. Uh, beat Guatemala 2-0. They got through to the last 16, at least, with draw, a draw against... To Israel. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, and they went ahead against Argentina, of course, had them really on the ropes and then, uh, in, the first match, in the first game. Yeah, that's right. And then Argentina just about got back. Mm. Well, they equal, Argentina equalised four minutes later. Yeah, but it was like it wasn't as clean cut as it sounds. Oh, and then uh, and then Uzbekistan thought they had a penalty, which yes. was overruled by VAR, and then Argentina went two one up. Wasn't, yeah, yeah. wasn't the if I remember correctly? And then they just lost out to Israel in the uh, mm. in the last sixteen. So wasn't growing, was growing football power. Speaking of Israel, but like the uh, wasn't the under twenties supposed to be in Indonesia because yeah. Israel were in it. Were they also? Was Indonesia also going to host the under seventeens? Like I they won, they won, well. they won the rights to both, or was it uh, like oh, well, you missed this very one? Very good question. Thank you. If you give me a second, taking it off whoever they awarded it to and giving it to Indonesia at like a year's notice. No, not even a year's notice. It was less, wasn't it? Like, it was only no, like a couple of months before, and no, it was like a month's notice. Yeah, 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 it was going to go. No, well, no, they took it off. They took the under twenty off Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. So just, I'm saying taking the under seventeen uh, off the other country yeah. that was meant to host it, and then giving it to Indonesia, it seems harsh when the other country presumably had yeah. nothing to do with um, Indonesia being. <laughs> right. This is what happened. Go on. Um, Peru had been announced originally as the host of the 2021 Under-17 World Cup. Mm-hmm. That obviously didn't get played because of COVID. So Peru were awarded hosting rights for 2023. In April 2023, uh, Peru decided to withdraw as host. Oh, okay. And FIFA were like, well, this is very handy. Followed very swiftly by <laughs> Indonesia getting stripped of the Under-20 World Cup. And they just decided, oh, let's give Indonesia and the 17 World Cup to make up for it all. I see. Logistical nightmare. And everything worked out well in the end. Uh, Moving on to listeners' questions. Pete McCullough does not have a question, but does have a comment. He said uh, he retweeted our last episode tweet, and uh, or quote tweeted it, I should say, and said, listen to this while out running. I nearly fell over laughing at some of the stuff the lads speak about. Um, So just to reiterate what I replied to him, which is that our lawyers will not have us held responsible for any injuries incurred as a result of listening to the podcast. I can't remember saying anything funny. Pablo says, who qu- clearly listened to the last episode, says, question for Sam, would you take Soteldo over Rashford? And, uh, no, I don't think I would. I don't think I would against Premier League defences, but in terms of watching him, as I said last week, love Soteldo. Um, Chacarita Juniors in English says, not politically, brackets big picture, but what might what impact might Millet have on Argentine domestic football? He likes making waves. That's I like that. That's one way of putting it. Away fans, the Barras, anything else or nothing at all? Very apt that uh, Millet as a uh, he was from a goalkeeper for Chacarita yes. Juniors as well. Yes, goalkeepers. Yeah. Here you go. 
Anyway. I think the question, the answer to this question is pretty much the answer to everything about Melee. We really don't know what he's capable of yet. Hmm. Um, he says a lot of stuff that he's absolutely going to try to do, but whether yes. Congress allows him to do it. Or just whether, basic human decency. Whether in this case the clubs that make up the AFA's decision-making boards allow him to push certain things through. Because one mm. thing that we know he wants to do is to bring in the Sociedades Anonymous to, well, to everything in Argentine life, basically. Mm. He wants to get rid of the public sphere altogether. Um, that is more Macri train, I mean, idea, but he's now... I mean, again. he is, but he's also more extreme um, yes. than Macri. And yeah, so he's going to try to push through private ownership of clubs. Whether it can actually, I mean, whether he can even make that happen. Mm. You think for the time being, at least, he's got enough in his plate without getting involved in football, but then that's never stopped presidents before. No. So, um, watch this space, basically. Um, yeah, away fans, I'd be kind of surprised because at least up to this point, again, just to reiterate, the reason we don't have away fans in, stadi- in some stadiums in Argentina, because they do exist in mm. some others, uh, is that a police person shot an away fan and killed them. It's not to do with fan-on-fan violence, and it's to do with ongoing political cowardice in terms of bringing them back now. So on the one hand, you might And think, because well, the clubs don't want them back. Yeah. Yeah, big teams, well. especially. So on the one hand, you might think, well, if nothing else, he doesn't seem to be a political coward, so maybe he'll actually try to force through the return of away fans, knowing it's a vote winner. Mm. On the other hand, again, as Downs just said, the clubs don't want them back. Yeah. Um, so watch this space. We will give you more detail when we actually have an idea of what he's going to attempt to do, particularly regarding uh, the um, private company's ownership of clubs. Um, somebody else also asked about... Ah, Liam, in fact, in the very next question, so I'll, I'll read it out now. Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Will Scaloni actually resign, or is there something behind his thinking that we don't know about? And the answer to that, Liam, is... We don't know. No, we're um, all waiting to again to see what happens. Has he, he Santi speculated on our WhatsApp group last night about one reason that he he implied that he'd heard something about this from some journalistic context. But given that I've not seen it mentioned anywhere at all today, I'm not going to yes, repeat it here. There are a lot of don't spe- repeat it either. <laughs> there are a lot of speculations about the reasons why exactly, he yeah. could leave, but nothing. You know, whether, for it's, sure. whether it's personal reasons or what, but we really don't know. Um, and yeah, and Liam's other question is, what does the presidential outcome mean for football in the country? TV privatisation, etc. Which has already happened. Exactly. That, that that's the, already that's done. the short response is, it happened when Macri came in, what, eight years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's 2017, make, I think, to be precise. Yeah, I would have um, thought it would make much difference to that, except possibly that the packet de football will become even more expensive. About the, the away fans, apart from all the reasons, there is another, which is, I think, more important, it will, of course, demand more and more police officers, and he wants to le- spend less money, not more. Mm. Can I say something? Just but the clubs play for the pay for those police yeah. officers. So I was just going to say, like something slight, a tiny bit unrelated to football for just one second. But the win of uh, Millet on Sunday was a resounding victory. Uh, for some people, it was sad. For a lot of people, it made them happy. Um, the rhetoric that he has uh, spoken over the last few years building up to this moment, um, some of the things he said have been nothing short of atrocious. Now I know he's playing like culture wars and everything and getting people to like hate the other person rather than the people at the top. Um, but for someone who, in, and not to make it all on me, but 
I have someone in my, in my family, my close family, who uh, has transitioned. They've gone from being female to male. And uh, that person is no longer, in my opinion, going to feel as comfortable as they maybe might have done before mm. uh, in terms of visiting here. Not that they were ever going to plan to, but just in case that they were. And I know that that is the case for a lot of people who are uh, who are gay, who are uh, who have transitioned. You know, for any all walks of life, uh, walking around this country, and it's just. From a personal point of view, it's really, really sad that that rhetoric has now kind of been voted for by 55% of the, of the country. So yeah, thank you yeah. for that, Chris. Absolutely. The other thing that I have been, I mean, it probably won't be a surprise to any of our listeners, and I suspect, actually, I've not, Chris has just made his opinion very clear. I haven't asked Dan, I haven't asked Andres before recording, but I'm guessing that we're kind of all in the same boat regarding our opinion on uh, the country's decision for who should be the next president. But the other thing is that a lot of that rhetoric is also... I think in this particular politician's case, more implicitly than explicitly from what I've heard, in comparison with certain politicians in other countries who he openly draws his influences from, um, but it's also implicitly against migrants and immigrants. And although the three immigrants who are sitting around this table um, are more privileged than most immigrants in Argentina, we are still immigrants, and uh, I think it's important that we remember that and stick together as well, yeah, yeah. and have a bit of solidarity. So, so sorry, Andres, you can't stick with us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. To, you know, but um, yeah, you know, it, it's just it, it's just that. So, if you're listening to this and you're actually really happy about the outcome of the Argentine presidential election, I'm sorry if we've just disappointed you with what we've said, but you know, you're free to not listen mm. and there's no reason to tweet us in and let us know just stop listening that's fine yes. um, Liam also said on elections and initially when I read these two words I thought oh god Liam no please let's not uh, but then Liam said is Bocca's upcoming one the biggest in their history interesting question I think I mean what would be the biggest in their history so far probably the one when they voted Macri and I would guess um, but the it's an odd one because Kind of 95% of Argentine football elections are pretty just much just non-events. You know absolutely mm. who's going to win weeks beforehand. And I think it's kind of likely now, but again, we're still going to win. Like, he's had about 90% of the vote. Maybe Magri and everything that happened in the last week or so. When we say take it down to seventy, I've not been paying as much attention to this one as I as I did to others. Is he running for president yes. now? Yes, he is the he is running for president. Same Mayor. formula, but the other way around. Right, the old switcheroo. Yes, um, he should be unassailable unless something very weird happens, which tends to happen when Macri gets involved in elections. <laughs> let's uh, let's be honest. Um, as we've just discovered, are you sure? Because there is the thing of the Copa Libertadores obsession. No, you, you say. I mean, I'm trying to get into the head of the Boca member being a supporter for so long who would change their vote on the virtue of finishing runners up in the Libertadores instead of winning it. Yeah. It's like. If you're a paid up member and you've been a paid up member for long yeah. enough to be voting. I, I think it's not going to be particularly yeah. close. Like, I've been wrong before, um, as we all know. <laughs> um, but. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a bit more hard fought, it's going to be nasty, it's going to be unpleasant, 
um, when everything. What's the date? We love an elections 8th of December, something yeah. like that. That rings a bit. That tends to be the yeah. date that Bocca have their presentation. In or around it. Um, it was quite funny seeing like it's the, gonna be a big one, yeah. seeing the billboards around the city even before Sunday's presidential election. Some of them had been painted over with whichever club. I've seen San Lorenzo ones. I've seen Boca ones around. I've seen all kinds of different uh, <laughs> different ones. And you know, to some people, like maybe who didn't vote on Sunday in the presidential election, like this is the one that they actually will vote for. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, David Novoshevsky says, is it true that Oscar Wilde's picture of Dorian Gray was actually based on the seemingly ageless Otamendi? That is true, yes. <laughs> there we go, you heard it here first. Clear up. Tommy Buendia says, whose bright idea was it to mix Brazilian and Argentine fans last night at the Maracanã? Um, the CBFs. The yes, I was going to say. Confederação de Futebol Brasileira. Yeah. How was that, sir? That rivaled sound. Sounds quite good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they yeah, decided they were selling to tickets to. Uh, just openly sell tickets, yeah. Time, uh, which meant they all mixed and. You know, seemed like a good idea so at they, the time. They, from what I could see on TV, there were. I did see quite a few Argentines in uh, random spots in the stadium, yeah. not just in that group, which is very German of them. Uh, it's quite common in Germany for people to be dotted around the stadium. Who cares where you sit? Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Luis Bessone says, anything interesting happening with La Galoneta this past week? Oh, he's, I think he's being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, what difference does, the hel- does a healthy Los Elso make to the now quite crowded Argentina midfield? Hope you're all well. He's not playing for Spurs. Like, he's like playing a little bit, like a little subs appearances, but it's like he's full-time for La Galoneta and, you know, bit part for Spurs. But he, I thought he played quite well last night. He, I mean, he got the and, assist and, for the goal. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, he, he made the Argentina feel quite crowded, which was part of the game plan. I find it difficult to see why he doesn't get games for Spurs and has barely played for them in the whole... But he's never really got a full run in that Spurs team in the last however many years he's been there. I wonder why it doesn't fit. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Um, and Tom Robinson says, in true hop tradition, it only feels right that I dust off this classic question. <laughs> How much longer will Gashardo stay in his current role? <laughs> well, uh, he's, he's arrived got, now, right? Like, he's actually in Saudi Arabia. His contract is until June 2025, I think. Then we will see. Of course. Uh, I, I don't know how he's still no Arabian. He's mm-hmm. with the translator there. How come? Arabic. Arabic, sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, he does have to fight off against the likes of Steven Gerrard as a manager. Yes. So it's going to be a... Yeah. The leader, I think, of the... al I think he is. Oh, yeah. And the... I, I yes. beg your pardon. <laughs> um, <laughs> presumably, it won't be eight and a half or seven and a half years. How long was he at Rivers? Eight and a half? Eight, yes. 24 to... Yeah. 2014 to 2022, wasn't it? Um, yeah, probably not as long as that, but... Eletifog is the one with uh, Kante, right? No. The one he's joined is the yes, one with Kante? Yes, Ngolo Kante, Fabinho, mm-hmm. and uh, Benzema, of course. And Marcelo Groet, the former Premier goalkeeper. Um, he, I heard, I don't know whether, it, whether it's serious information or not, that he wanted uh, to bring to that Al Al Ittihad um, uh, Mohamed Salah, uh-huh. but I don't know what it will. It's going to be really fun for him, like 
going from 80,000 fans in La Monumental to 80 fans in whatever games he's covering, yeah. you know. Do you think he's going to be able to keep his cool in the white hot atmosphere? Might even get it plus 100, who knows. Indeed, yeah. Um, on that note, shall we go to Mystic Sam and find out what's going to happen mm. this weekend in the Copa de la Liga? And how going to reach the playoffs? I, I don't know how right I was last week, Chris, because I don't count my scores. Mystic I Sam. do know that I was right about Brazil versus Argentina and wrong about Argentina versus Uruguay. Ah. Uh, but beyond that, don't really care. Anyway, <laughs> stick around after this music and you'll hear the next load of predictions that I don't really care about. Okay, the Copa de la Liga. This is the last round of group stage matches before the knockout round begins. And Shall just... we remind people how it stands, at least at the top? Okay, then, sure. And, because, um, and at the relegation, because this is I'm also weekend. Bear in mind as well, I was just about to say, bear in mind that I haven't watched any of the last 11 rounds, I think it's been, while I've been away. So You've I'm not some hot very shit. familiar oh, yes. with how well most of these teams are playing. Uh, but the current standings are that in Group A, River atop, Huracan second, behind them on goal difference. By the way, as I was saying that, Estudiantes have gone ahead against Boca, two and a half minutes into the Copa Argentina semi-final. Uh, Independiente third, all three teams on the same number of points, uh, just one, two, three on goal difference, River, Huracan, Independiente. Colón three points behind them on 20 points in fourth. That is uh, the quarter-final qualification spot, but Rosario Central and Banfield also both have 20 points in Group A. And in Group B, it's Godoy Cruz on 22 points, Belgrano on 21 points, Azar Racing, who are third on goal difference, and Central Cordoba on 19 points. Just behind them, Platense on 17, Sarmiento on 16, Estudiantes on 16. Um, oh, and relegation-wise, uh, Arsenal are completely screwed, Colón, Union, and somebody else are like Sarmiento fighting Sarmiento are yeah. fighting out to not be the last team. Union have 43 points, Gimnasia, Colón 45, Sarmiento and Vélez 46. Thank you. So those are the five teams that could still run out. I am now going to to almost instantly forget all of that and tell you what's not going to happen this weekend. Lucky there's a radio record of it. Indeed. And lucky as well that two of the teams you just mentioned in the relegation struggle are playing each other right at the beginning of the round because on the 25th, so what's that, on Saturday? Saturday. No matches on Friday, okay. Um, at 6 o'clock, Vélez Sabsfield host Colón, and I think that's going to be a draw. Union are at home to Tigre at, of course, it's the same time. These are the teams involved in the relegation scrap, so they're all kicking off at the same time. Mm. Um, these first four matches. Union versus Tigre, I think, will be a Tigre win. I think that Banfield versus Gimnasia will be a draw, and that Platense will beat Sarmiento at home. So Union relegated. Apparently so. If that's what you say is going to happen. That's, <laughs> that's what you say is going to happen. Yeah, and that's Mystic Sound. Indeed. Yeah, that's what uh, Sound. Those are the matches on Saturday. That's all of them. They're all at 6 pm Argentine time. Uh, and then on Sunday, there are a bunch more matches at 6pm Argentine time. Those are River versus Instituto, which I think will be a River win. I know I'm sticking my neck out there, but, you know, <laughs> I like to live dangerously. 
Tacheres versus Independiente, I think will be a draw. Atletico Tucumán versus Huracán, I'll go for... I mean, I really don't know how either of those teams have done. I'll go for an Huracán win, because why not? Arsenal de Sarandí versus Rosario Central, I'll go for... Uh, oh, obviously I'll go for a Rosario Central win. The reason that Arsenal aren't playing with the other relegation-threatened teams is that they're already down a long time ago. Um... At half past nine on Sunday, Godoy Cruz hosts Boca Juniors. I think Godoy Cruz will win Ooh, that match. Could be a good game, that one. Yeah, I mean, bear in mind that it's first against ninth in Group B. So if Boca loses today and also Which on they Sunday, are. that will mean that they were, will, be, will be out of a couple of dollars. Oh, Boca need to win if they don't win today. To, uh, and they are, have a chance of oh, well, they are currently behind. I've made my prediction, so <laughs> there we go. Estudiantes versus Lanús is on uh, Monday, as are. Oh no, not quite all the other games. You forgot Racing and Newell's on Sunday. No, Monday, no, sorry. Monday. I'm, I apologise. No, don't worry. No. I'm, I'm just reading down in the order no, they no, no. played in it. It's my bad. <laughs> Estudiantes versus Lanús is going to be an Estudiantes. Win San Lorenzo versus Central Cordoba de Santiago del Estero is going to be a draw. Racing versus Belgrano will be a Racing win. Newells versus Defensa y Justicia will be a draw. And on Tuesday, for some reason, Barracas Central versus Argentinos Juniors closes out the group stage with an Argentinos victory. I think that reason is because that game is completely irrelevant to anything else that is going on. So irrelevant that they're putting it. On an evening when nobody, I will not be watching. I will not be watching that. So there we go. I don't know all of the outcomes from the results I've just said. Although Dan has already given us the big spoiler that it means that Union will be going down. I think that would see from Group A, if I remember what you just said, River, Huracan, Independiente, and Central going on to the playoffs. Not necessarily in that order. In other words, it would see Central leapfrogging Colón into fourth spot. Correct. And in Group B, Godoy Cruz, Belgrano and Racing, who are already free, so that's easy. Um, and I, think, I can't remember what you said for Platense and Sarmiento. He said Platense would win. Platense. So that would be Platense joining those three. Yeah, because I predict the central quarter but to drop points to San Lorenzo. Yes. Cool. Excellent. Well, oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, that's it for this episode um please continue to listen after the music and i'll tell you again if i remember um to do this in a couple of hours time i'll tell you what happens in the boca versus estudiantes copa argentina semi-final which is currently being led by estudiantes eight minutes in one nil uh and for now thanks very much for listening and goodbye from chris goodbye thanks for having me andres thank you goodbye english down goodbye and me thank you and goodbye Copa Argentina semi-final is over. Guido Carrillo gave Estudiantes that early lead, as I told you earlier. Um, a little later on, while we were recording Hand of Pod Extra, which you can hear if you go to patreon.com slash handofpod and sign up there, uh, Miguel Merentiel hit a double 15 minutes apart to mean that Boca went in 2-1 up at the break, uh, they were already down to 10 men, by the way, by the time that happened, because Marcelo Saraki had got himself sent off a quarter of an hour in. Apologise for the traffic noise in the background. Um, in the second half, 
Mauro Bosselli equalised very, very early on indeed. In fact, I left Dan's place as the second half was kicking off pretty much and saw the replay of the goal on the bar around the corner before I even reached the subte. And uh, 20 minutes into the second half, Nicolas Figal scored an own goal to put Estudiantes 3-2 up and that proved to be the winner. So, Estudiantes are the first team through to the Copa Argentina final. Boca have it all to play for in terms of that final Copa Libertadores spot at the weekend. We'll tell you what happens next week. <laughs>